How's everybody doing this morning? Are y'all glad to be here? I'm telling you, good night. So good, awesome worship all morning long, and uh, we've just enjoyed being together uh, today. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Um, last week, we started a series called Catching Fire, and Tim... Uh, was preaching on that and preached on heart on fire and we gave out challenges so if you took the challenge last week you've already read this passage some of you probably already memorized it so we're going to recite that together I'm just kidding we're not going to do that but uh but I hope that you have enjoyed the challenges this week if you kind of noticed our staff we're kind of scraggly uh, we're right in the middle of no shave November um, we were talking earlier and uh I said, I told Warren's daughter, Emily, I said, you know, Warren ought to grow his out really, really long and then comb it over where it could be like a nice rug up there. Um, the one that's slacking, though, I don't understand this. Nicole, she, she ain't got it going on for some reason. Uh, now, she did get her hair cut this week, so I guess we're going to make it into a beard for her and put it on her face. Uh, but no, it's, we, we, uh, we're having fun with that, but I definitely have the better one, I think, out of the staff. So anyway, yeah. Acts chapter 2, this is the church on fire. We're going to read the entire chapter. It's just essential to the story here and to get, to get the whole gist of everything. Um, let's go ahead and read. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, and he gives a list of a bunch of the nations that were there. Verse 11 says, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the, other, the, with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Know what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. 
With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in its grips. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad. My tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself. For he died and was buried and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet. And he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. Verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. Now he has exalted the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand and the Father as he had promised gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. For David himself ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies and make them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and even to the Gentiles. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And all those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in the homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Isn't that an incredible, incredible story? It's the story of the the initiation of the church, the very first instance of the Holy Spirit coming on the believers. It's the story of the 120 sitting there waiting, and all of a sudden, it went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. It's just an amazing story. The church on fire. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for your word. We thank you so much for the worship. Lord, we pray, God, that you would knit our hearts together, that you would pour out your spirit on us. Lord, I pray, God, that you would take what has been ignited in the hearts of believers this week and you would put us together and help us to wait for your power and your presence so that we can ignite a fire in this church that would spread throughout the world. 
Lord, I pray for your spirit to be here today. I pray, God, that you would use me to say the words that we need to hear. I pray, God, that you would ignite something in my own heart. And you'd cause me to, to beg and plead and pour out myself to you and surrender myself to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you're doing, what you've done, what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, I love to study and read about the early church. And, and when this week we had the challenges, one of the challenges was to read the book of Luke, Acts, and Romans. And uh, some people, man, it was rough. It was, some people, it was easy. But man, when I got to the, um, the book of, of Acts, it's just like a novel, man. You just can't put it down. It's just one of those things where you get into it and you're just like, oh my goodness, this is what the church is supposed to be like. This is what the, the church is, is, what God wants to do with the church. And, and I love reading those things. And I love to see the fire of God in those people's lives and how they, they reach their world for Christ. But as, as much as I love to see all that and to read all that and to study all that, that's to the same extent that I hate to see what the church is today. Because when you look in the book of Acts and you, and you see what the church was and you see how God used the church in such mighty ways and it was just an amazing thing, you can't help but think there's got to be more. There's got to be something missing. There's got to be something that we're not doing right. There's, what's going on? The church was created to set the world on fire. The church was created to be the personification of God's work on earth. The church was supposed to be a place where the dead were raised to life. The church is supposed to be a place where the people that are captives are set free. The church is supposed to be a place where sins are defeated. The cross. That's what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be a place where the grace of God flowed through the people of God to the world. But when you look all around you, you don't see that. You look at the average church, the average congregation, the average youth group, the average whatever, all you see is a shell of what was. You see a, a group of mediocre, anemic Christians. What's going on? Why is it like that? In a day and age where we need God's power to wash over our nation and catch fire in our, in our world, we have a church that's barely making a dent. Barely making a dent. How can we be a church on fire? You know, what's wrong with the church today is not a reflection on who God is or what he wants to do. You understand that? What the church is today is not a reflection on who God is or what he wants to do because God still is powerful. God still is sovereign. God still is God. God still is is omnipresent. He's everywhere present at the same time. He is, he is God. He is still our Savior. He's still the deliverer and the rescuer of souls. He's still the one that restores families. He's still the one that, that raises the dead soul to life. He is that God. God is still God. So what the church is today is not a reflection on who God is or what he wants to do. It's a reflection on who we are and the lack of fire within us. The church is designed and was created to be the institution for the hope of the world. And we sit here anemic and powerless. A church on fire, what does it look like? A church is on fire when, number one, okay, write these down. 
All right, church is on fire when individuals gather together for the right reasons. When individuals gather together for the right reasons. Pastor Tim, last week, preached on the heart on fire. And the, the whole idea is, is it starts there. Because you can't have the church that is on fire unless you have individuals in the church catching on fire. You can't have what we think of the church. When you look at the book of Acts, like, man, I would love to have that. I would love to have, be that kind of church. But the truth is, is that church was made up of people that were on fire for Christ. They are the ones that, that took it to the church and the church caught on fire and then the world. The importance of an individual on fire. Look at verses 1 through 4. It says this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, all of the believers were, were gathered together, were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Okay, there wasn't big flame over the church saying this is the place where God's working. No, it was on each individual person. Each person in that church, all 120 believers that were gathered together had the fire of God on them. And if we're going to have a church that catches on fire, if we're going to have a church that God blesses and God uses in this world, we have to have believers inside of this church that are catching on fire themselves. They take the responsibility on themselves to beg God for his power and his presence. It will not just come on us. It keeps on going in verse number four. It says, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone, everyone, every person was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to do these miraculous things. So what were the, why were they there? What were the reasons that they were gathered? In chapter 1 of Acts, you see in verse number 6, So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? In the later verses of chapter 1, it, it talks about how they gathered together to pray. The church gathered together to pray. When was the last time that we as a church came together to pour our hearts out to God? When was the last time that, that you looked down your pew and you knew the stories down your pew and you went home and got on your knees and begged God for that person's family, for, begged God for that person's peace, begged God for, for God to move mightily in that person's life? When was the last time we, we knew somebody's story in church and how, what they were going through and we pulled them and, and poured out our hearts and our, and our words to God over this person? When was the last time that prayer was the reason that we got together? So they got together for prayer. But also, the second thing they got together for was power. In verse number 7, it says, He replied, this is Jesus talking, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes on you. They waited for the power of God. Waited for the power of God. Prayer, power, but they also waited for purpose. Keep on going, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When they got together, they were meeting together in one place, 
and they prayed together. They wanted to, to have the power of God and the presence of God in their life, but they also wanted to know what they needed to do in this world, and God showed them that. And the Holy Spirit came down on them, and they began to change the world through that. So a church is on fire when a church gets together for the right reasons. A church gets together for the right reasons. Second thing, a church is on fire when the impossible things are happening. Impossible things are happening. I want you to look at chapter 2, verse number 7. Chapter 2, verse number 7. It says this. They were completely amazed. They were completely amazed. Now, what, they, what were they amazed about? Now, I guess the first question is, who, who's talking here? These are the unbelievers. These are the ones that do not believe in Christ at all. These are the, the neighborhood people. They came because they heard this, this enormous sound coming from the church. They're like, we've got to figure out what's going on over there. So they get over there, and, they, and they're like blown away. So these are the unbelievers, and look at what they were amazed about. Okay, look at verse number 11. It says, and we hear these people speaking in our own languages. It's not really what they're amazed about. It's the next thing. It says, about the wonderful things that God has done. The wonderful things that God has has done. They were completely amazed. We live in a day when we try to amaze the world with things that don't even matter and won't even make a difference. We try to get people in our churches that are lost and we try to say, man, look at this, look at that. It's the greatest thing ever. Instead of letting God's work shine on us and let it, letting God do something in us, and them being amazed by what God is doing in our midst and in our church instead of being amazed with the lights and the shine and, and, the, and the fireworks. Some people say, you know, come look at our facilities. We've got a great youth building. We've got a great children's area. Look at the paint. Look at the lights. It's awesome. Some say, man, look at our programs. We've got a great children's program. We've got a great youth program. We've got a great whatever program. Some say, you know, come check out our staff. Our staff is awesome, especially the youth pastor. He's amazing. Just kidding. Man, you should hear our music. We've got the best musicians in the world. We've got the best whatever in the world. And I pretty much call that glory stealing. Because we will focus on all these things. And we try to amaze the world and the lost people around us with the things that we have and the programs that we have and the, and the glitz and glamour that we have. But the truth is, that is so useless and so pointless and so not what's going to change the world. Right. It's not going to make a difference in anybody's life over the long haul. But what will make a difference in somebody's life is when a church comes together and they allow God to begin molding them and shaping them and changing them and transforming their lives. And where you see a person, you hear somebody's story and you see this person that was that was utterly lost and now is saved, that is completely gone and now is found, somebody that, that was bound up in sin but now they've been loosed from sin. That's what changes the world when they see people's lives being changed by the power of the gospel. That's what changes people's lives and that's what amazes the world. Nothing we can put on or produce or program. I love verses 17 through 21 Peter's speaking here Peter's preaching and, he's, and he quotes the prophet Joel and it just shows you a picture of the things that only God can do 
Only God can do. It says this in verse number 17. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men, they'll dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah. You think about these things, the, the sons and daughters, the old men, the, the, the free, the not free, the, the slave, the free, the everybody. And the truth is, is, is when God gets into the midst of a people, when he begins to work in the little ones and the oldest ones, the rich people, the poor people, you can't help but be amazed about what God is doing. When was the last time, when was the last time that you came to church and the only thing that you could explain about it was God did that? Think about that. When was the last time that you got with a group of people here and, and you began to tell stories about what God was doing here? The truth is, and I'm going to be honest, the truth is this. My ministry, my life, can basically be summed up with planning, preparation, and just doing it. I can plan something, I can plan an event, I can, I can prepare for it, and it, and it happens. You, you go through A, B, and C, and then D happens, and that's what we do. We, we want it to be nice, we want it to be perfect, and, and we do that. And the truth is, we do those things so much that there is no God anywhere in the midst of that. There is no Jesus in the middle of that. And everybody that looks at, at my ministry, and everybody that looks at my life, you think, he could do that. But I want a life, and I want to be part of a church. When you come into this, this church... You look at it and you say, I don't know what's going on there. It kind of scares me even a little bit, but God, I know that, that they're not doing that. God has to be doing that. And when the sons and daughters begin seeing visions and the old men begin dreaming dreams about what God can do and the, the people are centering their life around Jesus, that's what I want. A church is on fire when individuals gather for the right reason and impossible things are happening. Number three, Church is on fire when the hope of the gospel is everything. The hope of the gospel is everything. I'm going to make a statement here uh, because hope and fear are interesting things. I want to make this statement. You can write this down. The absence of hope is consuming fear. The absence of hope is consuming fear. Uh, who's preaching this, this message right now in, this, in Acts chapter 2? Peter is. Okay, 50 days earlier, Peter was not preaching. Okay, 50 days difference here. I want you to look at Luke chapter 22. We're going to flip over there. And I want you to see what Peter was doing 50 days before he preached Pentecost. 50 days before he preached to thousands of people and thousands of people got saved. And the church was set on fire. The absence of hope is consuming Fear. Luke 22, verse 54. 
So they arrested him, talking about Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire, kind of ironic, in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't even know him. You understand what's going on here? Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, sees Jesus be taken away to be beaten and crucified. All hope that Peter had in a Messiah, all hope that Peter had in Jesus was gone. It's completely gone. So Peter's sitting by this fire, and he follows far enough away where, where he's not associated with Jesus, but close enough where he can see what's going on, and he realizes his hope is just evaporating before his eyes. And he sits there, and this little girl, this teenage girl, comes up to Peter. Does anybody know what Peter did for a living? Peter was a fisherman. Uh, has anybody ever seen The Deadliest Catch? How many of you have seen that show? Big, tough guys, usually with beards, strong muscles, kind of like myself. And um, big guys, though, strong guys, not scared of anything. I mean, they go out in the middle of the Arctic Ocean or Bering Sea or whatever and, and, and hunt for lobsters or whatever they do, or crab, and I don't know. But they're strong. Peter's this guy, and this teenage girl, this little petite teenage girl comes up to him and says, You're, you've got to be one of those guys. And he's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. Scared to death of this little girl. Okay, I want you to think about that. Big, strong man, little girl, and he's scared of her. Isn't that ridiculous? Do you know what a lack of hope does? A lack of hope consumes you with fear to the point that you're fearful of the most ridiculous things. Peter was scared to death of a little girl that could not hurt him, couldn't do anything to him at all, just point him out, that's it. 50 days later, 50 days from the, the day that he sat at that fire, scared to death of that girl, 50 days from that point to this point in Acts chapter 2, and you can flip back over there, 50 days, what was going on? What happened to him? A restoration of hope. When Peter sat there in that, that, around that fire and he was scared to death of that little girl pointing him out, he had no hope. Jesus was going to die. He didn't see an end to that. He didn't see what he could do. Jesus was going to die. But 50 days later, Jesus had died, and then he was resurrected. And he was made alive again. I want you to look at Acts chapter 2. This is good stuff. Acts chapter 2, verse 25. This is what Peter, the preacher, says. He quotes David, and he says, King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. Why is he right beside him? Because he's alive. He's there. No wonder my heart is glad. My tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. And you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. You see, the absence of hope 
is a consuming fear. But the presence of hope is a spreading fire. The absence of hope is a consuming fear, and we'll be fearful of the most ridiculous things, and that's the way most churches live. That's the state of most churches, because we're afraid to tell people about Christ. We're afraid of what they'll think about us. We're afraid to stand up at our schools because we don't want to lose a friend. We're scared to to stand up and be what God wants us to be. As a church, we're scared to do God's will because we're fearful of finances, we're fearful of the process, we're fearful of whatever the case may be. And the truth is we're fearful of the most ridiculous things because our hope is not in a dead Savior, it's in an alive, resurrected God, Savior, Redeemer, Deliverer. That is who Jesus is. And our hope is not in something like a little, what a little girl thinks of us, but it's in a God who has saved us and is alive forevermore. Presence of hope is spreading fire. He says this in verse number 26, when he's quoting David, he says, my body rests in hope. My body rests in hope. That means, that word actually means that he lives in that, that his life is anchored in hope. And the deeper the hope, the further the fire spreads. We must go beyond merely knowing the gospel to living the gospel and allowing it to drive us. When this happens, it's like a fire spreading across a hillside. You just, you just can't stop it. Our hope, our life is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what our hope is, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, fire spreads because there's nothing that can, we can be afraid of. There's nothing we have to be afraid of because Jesus already conquered it all. That's what our hope is in. In the movie Hunger Games, how many of y'all seen the movie Hunger Games? Read the books? Okay, there's quite a few in here that, that seen or read. Um, there's a scene in the first movie where President Snow, which is bad guy, okay, just for those of you that don't know, he's the bad guy. And he has these Hunger Games that uh, are designed to keep the districts in check, okay? There's always a winner, and there's a reason for the winner. Um, and we're going to see that here in a second on the video. But they're always teenagers, and the teenagers come and fight to the death uh, in these Hunger Games. And he's talking to Seneca, which is the, the games keeper, the one that controls the games and all that kind of stuff. He's talking to him and asking him a question, why do we have a winner? So I want to show you this video real quick, and uh, we'll talk about it on the other side of it. Why do we have a winner? Hope. 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 It is the only thing stronger than fear. A little hope is effective. A lot of hope is dangerous. A spark is fine, as long as it's contained. So... So... Contain it. He is, uh, of course, he's, he's talking about, he's talking about Katniss, and of course the spark of the revolution had started, and he says, listen, spark is fine as long as it's contained, so contain it. And I love the first part where he's like, you know, hope is the only thing that's stronger than fear. Because when you, when you have a deep hope in the resurrection of Christ, there is nothing that can stop you. 
There's nothing that you can be afraid of. There's nothing a church can't do because the hope is so deep and so strong. And presidents know the enemy says a spark is okay as long as it's contained. So contain it. A church is on fire when the last one, the Holy Spirit can't be contained or isolated. Satan, the enemy, would love to contain us and isolate us. Satan would love for you to have a spark, but keep it in this building. Satan would love for you to have a personal faith, but never share it at school. Satan would love for you, and he doesn't care at all, if you love Jesus with all of your heart, as long as it never leaves your heart. He wants to contain it. He doesn't mind the spark, but he knows once a spark is not contained and not isolated, it becomes a blazing fire that can never be stopped and the enemy becomes destroyed at that point. President Snow on the movie, he knows that. He knows if Katniss, if this little spark keeps on going, it's going to ruin everything. It's going to ruin the plan. But the truth is, Satan also knows that in our lives. If the Holy Spirit gets on fire in this place, if individuals come together for the right reasons, and God begins to do something in us, and it goes outside of these walls, outside of our families, outside of ourselves, then the enemy is doomed. It's over. He can't sustain it. A spark is okay if it's contained. But once there's a spark of the Holy Spirit, there's a fire. And you can't stop it. Look at verse number 33 of Acts chapter 2. It says this, Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out. If God has raised Jesus from from the grave, if he's alive, then God has also given him the Holy Spirit to pour out on the church. And he says, he gave him the Holy Spirit to pour upon us, pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. Verse number 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him, to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? This fire had now gone outside of the church. The 120 that had it, now it's gone out to the at least 3,000 people around them, and they were begging Peter, please tell us what to do. Please tell us what to do, because the fire of the Holy Spirit was now consuming them. He goes on in verse number 41. He says, and those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. 3,000 people. Verse 43. The Bible says a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And the words there, the verbs there, a deep sense of awe came. The Bible it actually says, and kept coming, and kept coming, and kept coming. So they got a glimpse of who God was and what he was doing. And guess what? It kept happening, and it kept happening, and it kept happening. And then it keeps on going. It says, and the apostles performed. That means and did it again, and did again, and did again, did more, and more, and more. The apostles kept performing those miracles, and kept seeing God work in their midst. And then verse 47 says, all the while praising God, and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added, and added, and kept on adding, and kept on adding, and kept on adding, and the fire didn't stop. And in fact, we are here today 
because they were a group of 120 people that waited on the power and the presence of God in their lives. And we wouldn't be sitting here this morning if it wasn't for a church 2,000 years ago that waited for the power and the presence of, of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The church is on fire, and the Holy Spirit can't be contained or isolated. He spreads. When I was a kid, about 10 years old, I guess, um, I loved fireworks. Anybody else pyromaniacs in here? Um, love catching things on fire. Uh, it's just a guy thing, I guess. But uh, my uncle had a fireworks stand, and he would let me uh, just pick any fireworks I wanted. He'd just fill up a bag, man, just have fun. And so one Fourth of July, I did that and took them home, and I was super excited. I just could not wait. And I was that kid. I don't know if any of you are this kid, but I was, I was meticulous about my fireworks. I had them all planned out, like, this was the first one, and this is the second one, all the way down the line. And the big one is the last one. You know, I had it all planned out. So I had my first one picked out, and it was a green tank. And I took it over on the back patio, and, and, and I, I was smart. I wasn't, I wasn't dumb. I looked dumb, but I wasn't. Um, I had my paper bag, huge paper bag full of fireworks over there, and I had my little green tank over here. And I could not wait, man. And I lit it on fire, and that joker did a 180 and come right at me. And I was like, ah! you know, and I jumped, and jumped out of the way. And I ran inside because I was like, what's this? Thing? It was just sparking and shooting fire, all this kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, it ran into my paper bag. And I was inside looking out through, the, through the glass doors of the patio going, just amazed at what was taking place. Bag caught on fire, and fireworks numbers two, three, four, and all the way through 25 went off at the same time. You know, just like, it was like, you know, uh, Macy's uh, 4th of July spectacular, you know. It was, it was crazy. And uh, the, the thing is, is this. I was terrified. It was kind of sad at that point. But I was terrified and excited and pumped up all at the same time. You know, you, know, you get that feeling like, it's like, it's like oh, oh, no, yeah, ah, ah! you know, you're just like, you're terrified, you're like, it's going to set the house on fire, but you're like, man, that was awesome. You know, you're just pumped up about it, and you can't help yourself. It's the most terrifying and exciting moment of my life, because that one I thought was isolated firework didn't want to stay isolated, didn't want to stay contained, and it came back and hit the boring bag of fireworks and set an explosion off. That was just awesome. You know what? That's what I want for here. I want that in this church. I want to be a, a part of a church that is the most terrifying and exciting moments of my life. I want to, I want to come into this place and not know what God's going to do. I don't want it to be so structured and, and strict and, and you, you do this, do this, and this, and you're going, I want to come in and we, we have a structure and we have a strictness, but all of a sudden God interrupts that and God does something in our midst. I want to be part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church that takes that excitement and goes out there and does something for God and goes all the way across the world. That's what I hope for, the most terrifying and exciting moments of my life. Jim Cimbala pastor at Brooklyn Tabernacle, you wrote Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He says this, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. He says, I can't stand the thought of doing this 
what we do and God not moving and shaking. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Why do we come Sunday after Sunday if God's not going to move? I want God to do something. There are lives here that desperately need God to move. There are people in our neighborhoods, in our schools, that you know that God needs to move. We need to beg God for that. And I don't want to spend another day without it. We need the Holy Spirit to pour out on us, to transform us. And the truth is, I don't want to drop. I don't want to trickle. I want him, just like we, what he says in the passage, I want him to pour it out. I want him to pour it out in abundance on us as a church. The church is on fire when people gather for the right reasons. The church is on fire when impossible things are happening. It's also on fire when the hope of the gospel is everything and the Holy Spirit can't be contained. There's a song that we're actually singing tonight. First time we're going to sing it. It's called Build Your Kingdom Here. It's by a group called Wren Collective Experiment. And I want to read you the first verse of, of this song. It says this, come, come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil while we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church, and we need your power in us. Man, we need that. Once you bow your heads and close your eyes, we're going to pray. But man, I tell you, I look through the book of Acts, and I see what the church is supposed to be, and I want that. And I want to beg God for it. The question is, is if, if we will gather together as a church and beg God as a church. All of this week, all over the week, you know, a lot of you have been reading scripture and praying more regularly than, than ever before. And God has began to ignite hearts in this congregation. But he doesn't want you to stay isolated. He doesn't want you to stay contained. He wants you to come to the church. And as a church, we catch fire together. And then God changes the world. God turned the world upside down with a church of 120. We've got more people in that in here this morning. What could God do in us if we'll beg him for it? Lord, we love you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray, God, that you would, <clears throat> you would transform us and change us. Lord, I pray that we would, we would come together with a renewed vision and a renewed heart to, to pray for your power, pray for your purpose and your presence in our lives. Lord, there's some people in here that need to go to people, other people in here and pray for them. There's some people in here that need to know freeing power of the Holy Spirit it takes away the chains of sin but this is a place where you want to move Lord I pray that we would get out of the way and let you move just stand to your feet and I don't know what, what a response time looks like I don't know what you're supposed to do Maybe it's just pray. Maybe it's just come beg for his presence and his power. Maybe it's to go to somebody. I don't know. 
And all I know is, is, is the church is the place where God wants to work. We are the hope of the earth. And if we don't deepen our hope in the resurrection of Jesus, hope is lost. So this is as a church. We, we want to beg God for that today.